Oh, and you're back. Yeah, I'm back. Yeah. How was the tour? Oh, man, it was three weeks of insanity. You know, it's good to be back in the Midwest. It's your day with Steve. I really don't want to talk about it. That bad, huh? Yeah. It only gets worse for me, right? Yeah, you're oh, a little buzz. I miss Malcolm so much. Damn. <laughs> I miss him too. But I'm still having a good time. Well, I know, but I don't know. No, it does feel weird to do one of these without everyone. You got to have all the boys. Speaking of all the boys, we're calling a boy right now. Nice. Hello. Hello. Hey. Eric Marsh. What, what's up? What's up? What's up, dude? Long time no talk. Yeah, dudes. How's it going? Uh, pretty good. JT and I were like about to do the podcast and then we realized Malcolm's not here. <laughs> and so <laughs> we were wondering if you could cover for him real quick. No problem. All right. Do you have your, uh, do you have your audacity up and running or ready to go or whatever? Almost. Your, yeah. Whatever yeah, your yeah. software is. Cool. 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 <laughs> How's your day going? Pretty good. Was just editing some shit and, uh, just chilling. Mostly. Nice. No complaints. Nice, nice, nice. All right, I I am recording, so... Okay, cool. So, Eric, thank you for joining us once again on, this time, the after hours of the extended clip. Uh, Well, I guess that's a little weird phrasing, the after hours feed of extended clip. And, you know, uh, unbeknownst to me, and you know, I have you on this. I have you on this podcast as a guest a couple months ago. Then you go and turn around, start a podcast of your own. Uh, what's what's all what's that all about? Can you can you tell the people about your betrayal to the extended clip family by starting your own film podcast? Yeah, I, I like to think of it less as a betrayal and more of uh, <laughs> an extension of the cinematic universe of extended <laughs> clip so we're like uh we're like cousins you know exactly exactly kissing cousins <laughs> um for those who don't know uh the new eric marsh podcast is the gauntlet and uh it's awesome check it out hey thanks yeah check but check it out it's a plug for a very selective audience, just the Patreon listeners here. Uh, it's almost like a little formal to do a plug during a Patreon episode, but we want the people to listen up. I'll, I'll take all comers. Uh, speaking of all comers, there's also a no comer slash no show today, if you didn't notice yet. You know, last time we had uh, our last bonus episode, JT was in another town and he left a little voicemail, and this time, Malcolm is spending a few days in another town, and uh, let, let's let's see what Malcolm's up to. Eddie, JT, I'm doing good. I hope you guys are doing good. I mean, you guys are living together, so you must be having <laughs> probably the best slumber parties that a man can imagine. But uh, I, you know, I just wanted to share my opinion on subject. They shoot pictures, don't they? What's what's up with that? Do you guys know what's up with that? Because it's like, it's like a list, right? And so, what is that list? Is it like they ask people what their favorite movies are, and anyone can enter, and 
you could just be like, they just add it up. And they're like, oh, we're figuring out what everyone's favorite movie is. I don't know if I'm a fan of that. <laughs> it's kind of like a... I don't know. Like, it's just... It just doesn't seem like the correct way to do things. This might be a little too democratic for me or whatever. But, um... Yeah, so I, I guess I just wanted to be on record being like, I don't get what that's about. I don't really trust that shit. If I were to advise others, I wouldn't really look to that list for any sort of, uh clarity or any uh direction so the topic of today's episode is a film from 1996 uh by sarah jacobson and when i say by sarah jacobson you cannot be more the author of your own film as much as she is here uh it is mary jane's not a virgin anymore what a title uh eric why why was it this film that you wanted to bring to the pod well, it's kind of random. I had the privilege of seeing this on 16mm just the other day at the Music Box, and uh, it was fresh in my mind, and when you know you sent out the bat signal, I thought, uh, this, is a, this is a movie I wanted to talk about. And I guess specifically... <laughs> Uh, you know, for me, uh, it's like the work stuff and, and those kind of relationships, you know, uh, the sort of teenage labor aspect of the movie very much uh, resonated with me. So I thought, uh, you know, especially after hours, you know, you talk about sex, you know, things like that. <laughs> Real yeah, this sex. this is where we get a little naughty. <laughs> That's right. JT, uh, how did you how did you take to the movie? I saw you watch it. We watched it together, but I want your perspective rather than me watching your face watch this movie. <laughs> Just yeah, reading how I was reading the movie. <laughs> yes. Um yeah, I love this. This is entirely my shit. Like I mean, we've talked about a few uh filmmakers in the past who are really going like commando low budget mm -hmm. and are just making a work all their own and that already endears me to their work but when you're talking about crazy sex shit and it's so like <laughs> uh all over the place like this um i, I don't know i th there was no way i wasn't gonna love it it's just such a uh fun time that's like fucked up too yeah um yeah no this is uh great yeah, I I was about to begin explaining what the film is for those who don't know. And like uh, genre-wise, I guess it wouldn't match the aesthetic that you would imagine. Like it's kind of a uh, just a real down and dirty coming of age uh, sex comedy kind of. But it's shot in a similar way to something like Last House on Dead End Street, just like a super grainy 16 millimeter uh, low lighting where every room feels like it's in the depths of a chamber or something. <laughs> and uh, it's it really comes alive with this scene uh, where, you know, she... And when I say scene, I don't mean in a movie, like the scene, man, that you're hanging out in. Uh, she hangs out and works at this dirty movie theater that has people hanging out, coming and going. And the social life therein leads to the titular virginity losing. And uh, yeah, it's a very, it's a very like fun and playful film as well as being, you know, down and dirty and uh, hardcore as the marquee on the theater reads in the very beginning. Eric, have you, you've worked at a movie theater, right? 
I actually haven't, but I was going to tell oh. you guys that <laughs> <laughs> uh, I did, you know, uh, not too long after this movie came out, I began my career as a, you know, a minimum wage lifeguard uh, in the late nineties. Oh. And I worked with a hundred other people aged 15 to 25. And let me tell you, this movie reminded me of that in terms of just <laughs> the depravity, the sort of back room smoking and drinking, like the gossip, the switching of partners. I saw all that shit go down. So Damn. I, fe- I felt that, you know, uh, so not in a movie theater per se, but yeah. Now I want to see like a Robert Altman like uh, milieu investigation of these just like sleazy lifeguards. I didn't know that was like a, a subculture uh, that was that seedy, but that that sounds pretty awesome. It's one of my dream projects. <laughs> Absolutely, I would watch that. Uh, the this film though, like so many other independent, very passionate projects, also wears its cinephilia on its sleeve, which is something that we can all relate to, like it or not. Uh, it, after the opening uh, sex scene, the, this main character. Uh, she's kind of interviewing almost all of her coworkers about their times, uh, like losing their virginity and stuff. And there's even one guy who mentions both Last Tango in Paris and uh, Rebel Without a Cause. And in like the most depraved and kind of most heartwarming way you could imagine, <laughs> uh, respectively. <laughs> yeah, Nicholas Ray taught Dave it was okay to be weird. That's like basically his story. Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> Have you had many experiences like this in the workplace, JT? <laughs> um, I think like as as a young buck, absolutely. Like <laughs> I I don't know. That was one thing that this really got right for me is I think like the I don't know, just sort of experimentation of youthful mm. sexuality, just that everyone's just like, I don't know, it's th- there's like a weird just sort of ball of horniness that it can't it's an energy that can't really be channeled effectively and i think it's funny that um mary jane finally finds like the absolute perfect guy like making her come kind of shit and just he fucking dies in a drunk driving accident <laughs> Yeah, and uh, you know, you may think JT is being a little uh, nasty there, but no, this movie is very much about the nitty gritty of sex. There's so many like long scenes about people talking about jacking off, let alone long scenes of jacking off. Oh, and when she's like rubbing her clit and it's like <laughs> overexposed the there, that's oh, it's so that's so funny and just so crazy. Like I'd love that shit. Yeah, it's it's a funny scene that sets it up when her friend uh, gives her some pointers on masturbation. Uh, the the thought process being that if you know what you like uh, it, it, when you're doing it to yourself, a partner will have uh, an easier time figuring it out. So she's like, uh, "You're not a loser if you masturbate," and our friend retorts, "You're a loser if you don't." <laughs> <laughs> Which is pretty awesome. That's like peer pressure into masturbating is pr- a pretty funny concept for like 20 year olds to be giving this 17 year old or however old this high school protagonist is that works with a lot of, uh, 
you know, we'll say college-aged, but not college-educated burnouts. Yeah, and they're all very, like, adversarial even to the idea of college. They're just all, like, mm-hmm. all about skateboarding and drinking, like, huge handles of, of rum uh, in the basement or whatever they're drinking. Yeah, I think there's one just, like, a huge handle that says XXX on it. Yeah, like it just gets passed around in, booze. like, every scene. <laughs> <laughs> That's the real DIY <laughs> shit. They only had one liquor bottle, and they're just pounding it, you know, every scene. <laughs> but, JT, the scene you were talking about where it goes all overexposed everything, yeah, after that bit, she goes home and tries it, of course. And, yeah, it goes into this crazy, like, uh, you know, uh, surreal kind of fantasy world uh, of her just touching herself, I guess. Uh, but the kind of snap back to reality is so grim as it returns to that super grainy super super dark 16 millimeter that this whole thing's drenched in and it just feels so nasty at points like when they go to that disgusting punk party which is also set up by a funny line where she's like it's not going to be one of those gross punk parties right (laughs) throw up punk parties yeah and then it's like a hard cut to yeah a bunch of people with like blue hair you know standing in a cramped (laughs) house but that has a great bit too where she gets to yeah rip the bong with her friend in the corner uh, love that. Oh yeah, you gotta you gotta shout out the uh, old the old like cool bongs that now if someone busted out of party be like yeah I don't really want to smoke that like, plastic I feel like it would probably kill me. <laughs> yeah, the whole harsh harsh like mid to late nineties aesthetic is very very stark. I mean, like most people in the film, I think are sort of like identify as punks or skateboarders. So you've got that mm-hmm. aspect to it. But yeah, everyone is uh, outside of their workplace wearing like crazy shit oh absolutely and it just makes their workplace attire which for a like triple x movie theater makes it even funnier that they just have to wear like a white shirt and a tie Uh, and it's just like at one point a customer complains about a guy jacking off in the theater and you just think like it just reminds you that this is supposed to be like a porno theater and there are customers coming and going out of every single, you know, no pun intended, coming and going out of every screening and like all the, you know, you get that older couple complaining about the price, which is hilarious, you know, $6. Oh, it pays $6 for the lousy film. <laughs> like, just complaining that it's a lousy film, not that it's a porno. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> Yeah, there's a good series of those kind of, like, first person, like, from the perspective of of working the counter at the movie theater, where you see all the customers complaining about their sodas or the ticket prices, Uh, and, of course, you have the classic Jello Biafra traditional family values council uh, cameo. That is really great, uh, you know, if you're going to get one big name in the film, uh, to have Jello Biafra do that ironic of, uh, uh, you know, playing against type is great. And it it even goes over the end credits. It's like, it's kind of endearing in a way that I would maybe find uh, sloppy in other ways, where this film kind of ends in a way that it keep ends or ending over and over and it even goes into like doing his character monologuing over the end credits and it's like you know an 81 minute movie that they really stretch into 96 or whatever but with this really bare bones DIY aesthetic there's something really endearing about that kind of like uh just kind of soaking in the misery of that milieu a little bit longer yeah and I feel like it 
just I don't know. It gets like it goes all over the place, and I mm-hmm. feel like doesn't really have like there's no momentum ever really to the plot. Mm-hmm. It's just following her from like sort of fling to fling and like exploring this notion of sexuality. It's nice to just sort of see it play out with like you get a little like snaps of like the future after like the real main events. Yeah, a real uh, broadcast news ending. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I love that it does like um one month later and then one year later. Like there has to be uh, these like multiple titles at the end to to bring us to really yeah, not just sort of like the next fall. Yeah. <laughs> and uh it's like the theater goes under new management, you know, the cool guy that was her good friend uh, is no longer the manager now. It's a guy who just yells at people and you know, but she seems to have settled for the uh the guy with the smiley face collection and they seem like they're uh that i guess that's the uh the ending that's like somewhat happy that this film goes with despite the guy that maybe she had a stronger connection with dying as we said and you get like a pretty you know depressing like 10 15 minute stretch after his death where it's really just some sulking scenes you know yeah, absolutely. And then and then it shifts into like 90s twee music video mode, uh, which yeah. is yeah, <laughs> it's like the whole sequence where she goes out with Ryan, who's this like nerdy straight edge guy that all the guys hate and all the ladies love. Uh, and he's <laughs> he's just like, yeah, he's really weird. But they go through this sort of like, you know, beautiful kind of like friendship courting moment where it is literally just like a 90s music video with, you know, the film burns uh, in the 16 millimeter sped up footage. They're like sliding down, you know, uh, slides on a playground. Uh, yeah, it's frolicking at the park. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a total frolic at the park. Uh, yeah. And then, yeah, and then it just shifts back to, like, the harsh reality of, yeah, his insane house full of smiley faces. Yeah, it does these, like, weird tone shifts where I feel like it's, like, surprisingly sincere sometimes, but then just snaps back to sort of, like, ironic comedy that, like, I don't know, really throw me for a loop, but I think in a good way, like... Another moment where I feel like it does that sort of give and take is like when uh, Mary Jane and Tom, they they pull off um, on the way to Madison and they have their like hookup thing and it's like going really well. And I think that's like an intimate and like sweet scene. And then uh, Tom asks her to chew on his dick like it's beef jerky. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god hey he was the one he was the one <laughs> the only man that ever let her bite it like beef jerky <laughs> uh yeah I, I do like that you know um the setup to that as well this kind of late night spontaneous road trip across state lines because what else are you gonna fucking do i guess yeah i love that the implication is i think they're supposed to be in like minnesota in the twin cities area but i'm pretty sure the whole Mm -hmm. film is shot in san francisco uh and you can almost kind of tell but like the whole film is really indoors or at night so you don't really get a glimpse of anything so there is like a lot of low budget resourcefulness i mean tons of low budget resourcefulness right 
Oh yeah, there's so many scenes where you really just don't know where you are. Like there, there's one exterior scene that's played against a brick wall, and it's just like one kind of pool of light that kind of shows the bricks, and then enough light to see the characters, and that's all you see, and you just don't know where the fuck the scene's taking place. But it kind of also fits in with this, you know, late night porno theater getting fucked up all the time lifestyle, I guess. Yeah, because there's even, uh, you know, those those scenes where it's like there's like one scene of Mary Jane at school and one sort of like flashback to her at school. And they're just shot in like a <laughs> black box, you know, like, yeah, they're not even pretending that they're in a, a space at all. There's just they're just like these conservative people like saying that they prayed for their school's athletic team or whatever. Yeah, it's very funny to see high school portrayed as literally just a black pit. And it's just like a nightmare scene or something. It's it's awesome. I totally forgot that she was in. They make a couple references to her being a high schooler. I thought maybe she was a dropout or something. Uh, so when they show her actually like in high school in that just pure blackout nightmare, it's awesome. Um, speaking of pure blackout nightmares, uh, Malcolm, wh- wh- what are you getting up to over there? But uh, yeah, I'm I'm walking the streets right now. I got my foot to the block. I'm trying to find the next big talent. Uh, I'm thinking about harassing, <laughs> think about harassing some people on the street, maybe asking them some movie questions or some bullshit like that. But I probably won't do it. Uh, just because I don't know. I just don't want to be put in a bad position. That I that just that's just kind of stupid. But maybe I will. Um, I'll send that file to you if I do it. But, uh, yeah, man, that's how, that's what I'm up to. Hope you're up to some cool shit like me. And keep it solid. Let's, I bet the episode's going to be great. So, um, you know what to do. So do it. All right. See you later. I have to say, the end of the voicemail he was like, I think I heard like fireworks going off or something, but it sounded like gunshots or something. It was so weird. He was just like, well, I'll talk to you guys later. Bah, 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 bah. <laughs> like, I, it sounded like it must have been fireworks, maybe, or I, I have no idea. Because he was like walking around on the street recording. <laughs> oh, my God. Praying for Malcolm. I think the listeners just heard that and uh, hopefully they enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what Malcolm's getting up to, but it sure sounds great. Yeah, it really does. I hope he stays safe. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this film, it's weird because it feels very specific to like a time period and I guess a scene, quote unquote. But the the actual place is very, uh, I guess, elastic. Like it's supposed to be somewhere in the Midwest. But as you said, you could tell it's kind of San Francisco, but I guess it's speaking more to a universal thing of just like, uh, you know, kind of burnout punks and the youth relating to, you know, the, the independent spirit that this movie carries. Yeah, I think there's an interesting sort of like push and pull there. I mean, that happens like pretty explicitly with Mary Jane where she's like, I don't know, all of the fun and excitement in her life is just sort of being around and hanging out with these burnouts, but like that offers, uh, I don't know, like no real future there, but her going off to college seems like more of a continuation of like uh, the 
conservative group of people just talking about God at school. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't seem like, I don't know, you're fucked either way. Yeah, like uh, when her friends are talking about how she shouldn't go to college, it's not very convincing. Uh, but you also get where she's coming from as well. So it, it definitely presents something of a real crossroads, both not uh, like not just in terms of the sex aspect of the movie, but in terms of a more broad coming of age, not just the coming of age. Uh, and so I think this film is like a lot more... Um, I don't know. It, it's a very specific film to both its milieu and its characters, but I feel like it definitely has a broader appeal to that. If you're not like a punk teenager virgin. <laughs> yeah. I like too how it even goes out of its way to point out that like, even though most of the people that work at the theater like are, yeah, you could call them losers and alcoholics, but like at least a, like they all have like bands Uh, And there's, like, reference to, yeah, like, certain people's bands doing better than others. Uh, And you do kind of get that vibe uh, in the sequence where Mary Jane's, like, interviewing everyone with the VHS camera that, like, yeah, you know, like... The, a lot of these people, yeah, they do have, right, aspirations, but they live in, yeah, a garbage society. Because uh, that's even what Tom says uh, in his video that plays sort of later in the film is he's like, oh, yeah, you know, uh, in, in an utopia, I would just, like, play music and, like, no one would work. And I'm like, right on, man. Yeah. <laughs> That's right, man. That's right. Uh, I do like the aspect of them kind of just all being in a punk scene and we never really see any of the bands play or anything like that. No, they're just like, let's it's go see like... Mud Honey and they run off screen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, they find some more success, especially in those flash forwards toward the end. It's like, uh, oh yeah, her band was uh, featured in a zine that the other character's writing for. And, uh, you know, I, I do like that it kind of shows that they're making progress, not actually growing up necessarily, but uh, at least they're they're furthering their passions uh, rather than a more kind of corny way that you could wrap up a coming of age story like this. Especially since a lot of the characters in this movie have already come of age. They're like, you know, mid-20s types, you know? Yeah, there's even that moment where she asks Dave, the manager, like, how do you know, like, all this stuff about everyone? And he just laughs. He's like, I'm old. Like, I I understand what (laughs) everyone's going through. Like, you know, wake up. Yeah, no, I mean, Dave refers to it as, you know, babysitting uh, his job, and it really couldn't be closer to the truth. Like, yeah, it's absolutely that. He's just taking care of all these hormonal uh, drunken punks (laughs) and a straight-edge weirdo, too. Yeah, and they're all stealing, yeah. Oh, yeah, that, too. I love that one of them gets fired for stealing, and then it's slowly revealed that everyone is stealing, and he's just the one who got caught doing it. And, like... Just any kind of sympathy, or not even sympathy, but like the relationship that you thought uh, the manager character had with the other characters is just completely non-existent, and I guess that's more realistic. Um, Eric, thank you for bringing this to the pod. Any uh, any final words on this one before we sign off? 
Yeah, uh, my pleasure, by the way. But I did want to bring up one like small connection and, and sort of an aspect of the film we haven't talked about, which is the there's like three throughout the film and including the opening. There's sort of like these these uh, parodies of, of classic Hollywood style, but done extremely yeah. lo-fi uh, and Sarah Jacobson uh, studied in San Francisco with George Kuchar. And I think that's kind of like a, a, you know, a good way to look at those sequences as these sort of like, you know, Kuchar-esque parodies or lo-fi attempts uh, at, you know, ludicrous melodrama or something like that. I'm not really sure they work in the film, but uh, they sure are there, you know. Yeah, there's the one where it's the older couple uh, that's kind of dressed more straight-laced. I guess they just are driving, and then they stop the car and get out of the car and embrace each other, I think. And there's a bunch of fog rising from the ground, and it looks incredible, but it's absolutely contextless. I just think it's like a a neat thing that happens, kind of. And, I, uh, you know, that um, actual link back to the classic era definitely shows. Okay, JT, any, anything you want to say about this movie? Yeah, no, I think it, like, I'm not sure if all of the pieces quite add up to a lot, but it has a really, like, exuberant, like, youthful energy and a really fun style where it does a lot of, like, interesting things formally. Like, I don't think we mentioned, like, there. there's that point where they do the, the dude saying uh, like olive juice oh, and the close God. up of the mouth. Like just that, like I remember like in elementary school, people saying like whispering mm-hmm. olive juice to each other. It's like, Oh no, you said I love you. And just like, it has like a crazy youthful energy that like, even if I don't like necessarily get like why every like sort of odd piece is in the movie. It, I, I don't know. It it is vibrant and fun, and I think what it's getting at about like sexuality in particular, those moments are like really the most earnest parts of the film. And I think it, I don't know. It 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 says something pretty honest about like discovering it and figuring it out and just uh, getting off. <laughs> getting off is right because i think we're gonna be getting off the air after that but uh, (laughs) just to wrap up yeah i just i'm gonna echo what you guys were saying it's yeah it's it's a scattershot kind of film but the energy is undeniable and it just has this kind of vigor running through it that is just just a sight to behold and uh you know not relatable like specific content but the the vibe of the late teens early 20s depraved workplace uh and being a young punk thinking about sex too much is uh you know it's it's a great vibe to hang out in for an hour and a half uh so yeah i think this is quite a movie malcolm any final thoughts and this kind of relies on if Malcolm sends me another voicemail. <laughs> <laughs> well, if it's no, then it's just, yeah, I guess he doesn't have anything to say about this one. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> For some reason, I thought Malcolm had seen this and talked about it, but I think I was just confusing it with the um, You Killed Me First. Oh, which yeah. Which we talked about like two years ago. Yeah. <sighs> Excuse me. Oh, boy. Uh, all right. I think that's the high sign to get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for another After Hours with you all. Uh, You'll see us next on the main feed in like three days or whatever. Talking about 
Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, and The House of 1000 Corpses with Cameron. So, see you then.